Morning, everybody. Do let's uh, pray together for a moment. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to meet with you in word and in sacrament. Please touch our lives, our hearts, and open us to all that you want to say to us and draw from us this morning, we pray, for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. If I was uh, to ask you to think of a place which is very special to you, a place that you really love, I wonder what you would think of. Would it be the place where you grew up, uh, born and grew up? Would it be the place that you love to go to on holiday? Would it be the place where if you're married you met your wife or your husband and it was very special? Well, come with me to a place that for all of us is really special. You may well have been there, you may not. Makes no difference. It's still a very special place in the hearts and minds of all Christians everywhere. And I'm talking, of course, about the Lake of Galilee and the hills around it. And we can all imagine it. it it's part of the very fibre of our being, really, because that's the place where Jesus lived and ministered. It, it's a beautiful place anyway, but of course it's really beautiful because of its association with all that Jesus did and taught. Well, we're there by the Lake of Galilee, standing on the shore. It's about four o'clock in the morning. The sun is just rising. There's a boat on the lake, and the fishermen have been fishing all night, which is fair enough, because that's when people do go fishing, but they caught absolutely nothing. The sun might be very bright, but there's an atmosphere of gloom and despondency which has got nothing to do with the weather. It's all to do with failure and uh, how Peter himself felt. And Galilee was a special place for him, there's no doubt about that. But you know, it's amazing how a simple phrase can have such power and meaning. And when Peter said, I'm going fishing, ah, there was a tremendous amount compressed into that phrase. Um, it was what he'd done. I mean, Galilee was his life. That's where he'd fished. It is also, of course, where he'd begun seriously to follow Jesus. Yes, he'd met him further south when Andrew, his brother, had met with Jesus, and then he'd gone and found his brother Simon and said, come and see the man who's the Messiah. So he'd met with Jesus already further south, but it was in Galilee that he seriously began to follow. Uh, you will remember the occasion. It was a similar time when there was a boat on the lake and Simon and uh, his partners, uh, Zebedee and sons, um, they'd been out fishing all night, caught nothing, and there was Jesus on the shore. This was way back. Um, and do you remember it was the occasion when Jesus asked Peter, because there was such a crowd of people listening to him, to push out the boat a little, and uh, Jesus sat in the boat and used it as a pulpit and preached to the crowd. But he said to them, let your nets down now for a catch. And I can imagine Peter thinking, uh, well, you know, I really respect you. You're a most wonderful teacher, but I'm the fisherman. You know, now is not the time to fish, and there won't be any, and we're in the shallows anyway. And Jesus said, let down your net 
and they had an incredible catch of fish. That was where Peter's following first began. That's where we read in Luke chapter 5, they pulled up their boats, left them on the shore, and followed Jesus. So Galilee was a special place for Peter. It was where he'd spent all his life's career fishing. It was where he'd seriously began to follow Jesus. But of course he was not good company this particular morning at all. Um, I said to you, you know, just a, a single phrase has a tremendous amount of power in it. Well, as Peter said, I'm going fishing. I can imagine what it must, a little bit, and so can all of us, I think, what it must have been like for him that night. Um, he must have gone back over so much in his life. The banner headline for his thinking, I think, would have been, if only. If only things had been different. Yes, it was here he used to fish. It was here he'd come to faith. Here he'd begun, begun to follow. Um, and now here... He's returned. Galilee embodied the whole of his life until now. But now he's got this overwhelming sense of failure. And I said the scene was heavy and overcast because of it. There was a memory of everything. Of course, what had happened recently in the courtyard, but I'll come back to that. But lots of other memories as well. Um, I suppose that that Peter would have reflected on all sorts of ways in which he had failed over the years as he'd sought to follow Jesus. There had been many, many occasions. Do you remember the Mount of Transfiguration when uh, he'd gone up with uh, the other two inner core disciples of Jesus and he'd want to, wanted to build three tents, one, uh, for, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. Let's stay here. Uh, and he said this because we're told he didn't know what to say. So Peter was the one who was forever opening his mouth and, uh, you know, putting his foot in it and uh, covering up everything by speaking. I remember, it reminds me of the occasion when a, a judge said to a young barrister who was making something of a fool of himself in court, he said, young man, Sometimes it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're a fool than to open it and remove all possible doubt. And that's Peter, isn't it? You know, he was always ready to speak and to put his foot in it. But this particular day, he'd got this overwhelming sense of failure. There was this inner turmoil going around. You think of the time when he jumped out of the boat and gone to walk to Jesus after he'd seen him walking on the water and then he'd begun to sink and he cried out, Jesus save me. Uh, and Jesus says, you've got such little faith, why did you doubt? Again and again, Peter either said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing and of course, supremely that was the case uh, after Jesus had met with them in the upper room and indeed, while they were in the upper room, Jesus was going around, you remember, he washed the disciples' feet. And when he came to Peter, Peter said, I'm not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if uh, I, you don't let me wash you, then you have no part of me. Peter said, well then, wash me all over, not just my feet, Lord, the whole of me, please. Here's brash Peter, the confident, quite arrogant man who was a natural-born leader. And... Uh, Jesus washes his feet. 
And then Jesus says this amazing thing as he foretells what's going to happen. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And they all say, is it I? It's an interesting response, actually. Because usually you would expect people to say, who's it going to be? Looking at everybody else. And they all said, is it I? And uh, Peter pipes up and he says, well, Lord, whoever's going to desert you or um, betray you or whatever, I would never do that. You know, Lord, you're lucky to have me on your side. You know, I'm going to be always there for you. You know, I'll stick by you whatever happens. And do you remember Jesus says to him, Peter, before the cock crows tonight three times, you will have denied me three times. Peter couldn't believe it. And then it happened, the story that we've read over Easter. There was Peter going with John. The other disciples had fled from the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember. Uh, When Jesus was arrested, they'd all um, run off, almost certainly over the Mount of Olives to the place of refuge that they knew, which was the little village of Bethany. And it was only Peter and John, and of course the women, who went back to Jerusalem. And John, we're told, was known to the high priest. And so they followed at a distance, he and Peter, and they got into the courtyard when Jesus was taken to the high priest. And there in the courtyard, there'd been this incredible failure by Peter. And uh, the servant girl who said to him, I know that you're one of them. No, I'm not. And then the second time, your, your speech gives you away. You're a Galilean. You're, yeah, you're definitely one of the disciples. No, no, no. I don't know the man, he said, swearing this time. And a third time, uh, he's accused. And he says, I've never heard of the man. I don't, don't have anything to do with him. I'm not a follower of his. And then the cock crows. And at that very moment, Jesus walked through the courtyard or saw him from a distance. And we we read in Luke's Gospel, it's an amazing little verse again. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And I wonder what you think was in that look. Recrimination? Condemnation? Accusation? Told you so, Peter. Or a look, as I think it was, of love, forgiveness, understanding. And it broke Peter. And we read, he went out and he wept bitterly. And the man who'd failed so many times now failed in an incredible way. Total failure. And I don't know what what it says to you, but... um, Jesus does use people who fail, which is just as well, because he's only got people like you and me, actually. But he does use people who fail. And if you forget everything else, that's the message, really, uh, from this morning. And come back with me now to the Lake of Galilee, back to that morning where Peter has gone fishing and they've fished all night again and again they've caught nothing. Now you think of how powerful memory is. And there's someone standing on the shore as they come into the beach. 
and they knew, but they didn't ask him who it was. And it's John, actually, who pipes up and says, it is the Lord. And, and the man on the beach says, throw your nets out, let them down for a catch. And they do what he's asking. And they have this overwhelming catch of fish, but the nets didn't break. Now, what a powerful reminder of the occasion when they all very first began seriously to follow Jesus Christ. And maybe the Lord is saying to us this morning, you know, do you remember when you first started to follow me? Have you drifted away from that? Have you failed as all of us have done? Well, let me remind you that I'm still the same Lord and I'm still calling you. And Peter jumps out of the boat and he uh, goes to Jesus and Jesus has got a fire on the beach. Here's memory coming up again. The smell of the fire, the flickering flames, the charcoal. I mean, it just exudes what has happened very recently in the courtyard of the high priest, doesn't it? Where there was a charcoal fire and Peter was warming himself and you can smell it. And, and Peter, I guess, could smell failure as well. As, as the scene was once again reenacted. And that the threefold question that the servant girl had put to Peter is paralleled now by the threefold question that Jesus puts to Peter. He takes him off to one side, but in a way that the, the gospel reading indicates that they could still overhear. Perhaps they were walking just a little way away. But the others, certainly John, knew what was being said. And Jesus talks with Peter. And he says, Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? There's a huge sort of uh, interpretation of that phrase. One of the versions says, do you love me more than these others do? Or was it, do you love me more than this fishing tackle that you once left behind? I, but Peter, do you love me more than these? Lord, you know that I love you. A second time, Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. A third time, Jesus says to him, Simon, do you love me? And we read, Peter is sad or hurt that Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? Lord, you really know everything. You know that I love you. Actually, there is, some of you have heard me say this before, there's another dimension to this whole conversation too because um, there are different words used for love and people don't necessarily agree about the significance of it. I think in a tightly argued passage like this where different words are used, it's got to be significant. Do you love me, says Jesus? He uses the word for agape. That there are, Greek is a much um, richer language than English. There are at least four words for love in Greek. We use the same one. I love my wife. I love reading in bed. I love rugby. I love watching television sometimes. I love working in the garden. You know, we use the same word for hugely different situations. The Greeks don't. They've got a word for 
that word that Jesus used, agape, which is self-sacrificial, total committing love. There's the word philia, from which we get philanthropy, which is friendship-type love, people who stand shoulder to shoulder. There's obviously eros, erotic love. And if you don't know your Greek, you make mistakes, which is why they put up a statue at the end of Shaftesbury Avenue in London, in the middle of Piccadilly Circus, in honour of Lord Shaftesbury, and called it Eros. And it wasn't actually erotic love that Lord Shaftesbury was famous for. It was a different kind of love. There's a, a word called storge, which means family love, brother, sister, parent, child. And the conversation that Jesus has with Peter goes like this. Peter, do you love me, agape? Peter says, you know everything, Lord. You know that I am your friend, Philia. And Jesus says a second time, Peter, do you love me, agape? Peter says, Lord, you know that I am your friend, Philia. A third time, Jesus says to him, Peter, are you my friend? And Peter says, yes, Lord. I am your friend. Now, I don't know about you, that says volumes to me. Peter could not, because of his history, because of the recent failure, he'd failed so many times that he'd come to think of himself as nothing but a failure. And because of that, he couldn't bring himself to use this total, committing, self-sacrificial word for love. He couldn't say... I love you in that way, but I am your friend. And I guess behind that was the feeling that Jesus could never use him anymore anyway. Whereas Peter already knew long before this occasion that Jesus had risen from the dead, running right the way through the resurrection accounts is a specific mention of Peter. The people who came back on the Emmaus Road uh, came back to the disciples to say, they were gathered in the upper room to say, we've met the Lord on the road. And they were saying, no, the Lord has appeared to Peter. And the, the message that was given to the women at the tomb was, go tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. When Paul is writing about the resurrection, he talks about the way in which he had appeared to Peter and then to the 11 disciples. So it's interesting that Peter is mentioned all the way through. There had been already a personal individual meeting with Peter, with the risen Lord, which we know nothing else about. And yet in spite of that, Peter still couldn't bring himself to think that the Lord could use him. Impossible. And of course, interspersed with the question is the clear commission that Jesus is giving to him. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter, I want you to go on serving me. I really want you to be with me. And he turns to him and he says, he gives him this wonderful commission after asking him the simple question, do you love me? And then he ends by saying to Peter the same thing as he said the very first time he met Peter. The two words which he utters to everybody, follow me. Simple as that. It occurs twice here in John chapter 21. Follow me. And uh, 
Peter says, because there was a rumor that, that John was not going to die, he said, well, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus says to him, Peter, you know, that's none of your concern, what other people and what happens to them and how I deal with them. Peter, as far as you're concerned, follow me. So the last thing that Jesus said to Peter was exactly the same thing as the first thing he'd said to Peter. Peter, follow me. And wherever we are in the Christian life, we need to hear and respond to those two words, don't we? Follow me. We may have first heard them many, many years ago. We may have, uh, I guess our walk has been staggering since then, up and down, sometimes through a fog. Sometimes we've tried to be faithful, often we've failed. We need to hear those words every single day of our lives, our first day and our last day. And we need simply to respond to them. So what's this message all about this morning? I haven't gone in detail through the passage, but Jesus is simply saying to us, do you love me? And you know, even if we say, I know that being a Christian involves total and utter commitment. I don't know if I can give that with all honesty and integrity. The incredible thing is, to me, that Jesus will walk with us to the degree to which we feel able to respond, to respond to him. He'll work with what we give him. Even if we say, Lord, I'm your friend, I'm, I'm prepared to start a journey, I want to go further in the journey, Jesus says, that's fine, I'll work with that. Just come and walk with me, and we'll walk together. But from now on, I want you as part of uh, what I'm doing in the world. And that's what Jesus simply says to us. The risen Lord says to all of us this morning, do you love me? Well, in that case, I want you to work with me, to serve me. But in order to do that, first and foremost, you individually need to follow me day in and day out. Yesterday's following might have been disastrous. You can forget about yesterday. The call today is follow me. That's what we need to hear. And uh, it's that call to which we need to respond. Thank you for listening. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this encounter with Peter, which is so rich and full of wonderful encouragement as well as challenge. And we want to say that we do love you, even if we can only say it partially. And we want to love you more and more. We thank you that you still want us involved in your work. Love me, work with me and for me, and follow me. Lord, help us to rise up today and every day and continue following you. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.